First Peter chapter 1, and I'll be reading verses 3 through 5. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Shall we look to the Lord in prayer? Loving Father, do ask for your blessing. Pray, Lord, you minister to us from your Holy Spirit. As we read the scriptures and as we look to you, Lord, to bless our hearts with the things that are here therein. And so I pray your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, I, I haven't left Timothy altogether, but I like this passage, so I thought I would continue in this. Um, after having uh, begun uh, this chapter when we did our musical, uh, doing verse 1 and 2, these next uh, verses and, of course, the whole chapter is a really very nice chapter. So we'd like to continue with this a little bit today. The title of the message is Begotten Unto a Living Hope. Oh, as the King James has lively in this place, but meaning living. Uh, we recognize that our hope is in Christ who gave himself for us. And so this living hope which we have is all because of the Lord Jesus. And so we find that uh, God has blessed us in many uh, and abundant ways. First of all, the believer is born of God to be uh, to a living hope because of the resurrection. We find that uh, Peter speaks about this and it's interesting, it's always interesting how that uh, the apostles seem to come around to the resurrection quite often in their writing, as Paul does and as Peter does, and we find that the resurrection being central to our true hope in Christ because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Secondly, the believer has an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away. And so uh, in this second area, we find that the inheritance uh, is one which is enduring. It's an enduring inheritance. Uh, it, it does not in any way get diminished, and we find that it, using the words of, of Peter here, incorruptible, undefiled, and it will not fade away. And then the third area we'll be looking at is the believer is kept by the power of God through or by faith. And uh, we find that both of these are very much an important part of our relationship to Christ. For we are saved by grace and through faith and that not of ourselves. And so we find that that faith which God has authored in us, he is the author and finisher of our faith, we find is also um, 
the power of God that works in and through our faith to bring us unto this living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So first of all, the believer is born of God to a living hope because of the resurrection of Christ. And so in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter begins by using the word blessed, and uh, we find that this is supposed somewhat of a doxology as we think about it, to bring glory to God. And uh, this particular word here um, is one which is important to us because we know that it it, uh, we are to glorify God. And so uh, it is important that we recognize to bring glory to God either in our prayers or in our songs or in uh, our benedictions or the things that we communicate publicly and privately are important that we might bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name as Psalm 103 begins. And of course, even Psalm 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So we find this word blessed is in relationship to God and is used also in relationship to those who are followers of God. And uh, so blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, when we speak about this uh, matter of being begotten of God, and he speaks of that as well in verse 3, he's, he refers to, hath begotten us again. Uh, it, the word does mean beget, um, and uh, it uh, has by extension meaning to to beget again. And we, we think of you know, perhaps John chapter 3, and where we are born again of the Spirit of God, and how that uh, being born from above is uh, really the true meaning in that sense of being born again, to be born from above. And so it is that God has done this work in us. Of course, uh, when it speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ being begotten, the only begotten Son of God, that is a different uh, relationship that he is talking about. That is a relationship of priority in the Godhead. That Christ came as the only one that was ever sent forth from the Father. Uh, that he might complete and fulfill the very plan of redemption. And so the begotten aspect there in John, uh, in the gospel concerning Christ has to do with his priority relationship. But here it is talking about being begotten of by God as we are are able to come to faith in Christ. And so to be begotten of God. To have one's mind changed so that he lives a new life, one conformed to the will of God. 
And perhaps at this point you might think, uh, what does that mean to, to be conformed to the will of God, to have one's mind changed so that you can be conformed to the will of God? And, and perhaps you might think of Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and how that uh, we are, are truly transformed by the renewing of our mind as the Spirit of God is able to do the work in us. So let's look there at Romans chapter 12 just for a moment. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, where Paul writes, he says, I beseech you, brethren, therefore, brother, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, this is, uh, suppose in a very real sense, talking about progressive sanctification. As once we come to Christ, we, we are supposed to truly yield ourselves to the Spirit of God that uh, we may be transformed on a daily basis. Rather than being conformed to the world around us, we find that the Spirit of God is supposed to transform us and, and to renew us in our faith. Uh, but unless God has done that work, unless he has begotten us, unless we have begotten of God, and God has, has changed our mind and thinking by his Spirit, uh, this would not be possible. But once we have been begotten of God, this, this becomes a very real aspect of our lives. And, uh, of course, in his, as he says in verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Now, we don't transform ourselves, of course. Uh, it is the Spirit of God that does that transforming work. Uh, by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that acceptable and perfect will of God. Will of God. And so, uh, looking back to the statement that I just made, I'll say it again, to have one's mind changed so that he lives a new life and one conformed to the will of God. So, so God begins this work when he begets us, when he brings us into the family of God, and we find that it is supposed to, of course, continue, um, that we might not uh, rather live to the world, but live to the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. Remember some years ago, I've, I've used this illustration before, but um, there was a poster in the church that we were, my wife and I were attending when we were first saved. And uh, it was the Advent Christian Church at the time, but Calvary Bible Church uh, later became known as Calvary Bible Church. And because that was some number of years ago now when we were first saved. But anyway, out in, the, out in the hallway there was this poster that said, Be not conformed to the world. And it was based on this particular verse. And it had a picture of a man and he was kind of cut in half. Um, and the world was in between him. And uh, uh, somehow the picture was, was uh, displaying that the world was trying to push 
you into its mold. The world is trying to push you into its mold. Um, and uh, we find that the world is still trying to do that. that the world is trying to push us into its mold um, and wants us to be like the world. But Christ is uh, actually wanting us to do the opposite. We have to be the opposite. We're not to take on the the image of the world. We take on we're to take on the image of Christ. Uh, we're to be like the Lord. We're to be renewed or transformed uh, by the renewing of your mind, uh, and so that's important. Um, and of course, uh, we find that this is often borne out in our lives by the things that we do and should be that we are not living like the world, but rather we're seeking to live like Christ. And so we find that uh, this is an important uh, area for us to live out, this personal sanctification, if you will. Uh, Walwood speaks about this particular doxology in his commentary, and he says this, In a doxology of praise to God, Peter encouraged his readers by reminding them that the new birth gave them a living hope and an imperishable future inheritance. An imperishable future inheritance. And so he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, God's mercy, hath begotten us again unto a living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is all to say that because of Christ, because of God's work in us to beget us unto this living hope, we have a future inheritance to look forward to. And of course he speaks about that in verse 4. And so we find that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. And uh, we find that this new creation of God is one which God is the author of. And so we might refer to 2 Corinthians 5.17 or Philippians, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.18 as well. But I won't go there. I'll let you look at those later if you like. The inheritance is sure because believers are shielded by the power of God till it is ready to be revealed. Uh, When we speak about our inheritance, probably immediately we think about heaven and the glory that we will have with God when we go to be with him. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And we think of heaven. Now, just exactly what that is, um, we have uh, quite a bit of information in the Bible about heaven, But experience-wise, you and I have not yet gotten a true glimpse of it. That is by experience. By faith, yes, but we haven't been there. So we we have yet to experience the the inheritance, as it were, uh, the full aspect of that inheritance. But we find much within the scripture that gives us great hope and uh, revelation concerning it, of course. Consequently, Christians Christians may rejoice even when they face trials. We find that 
uh, Peter always talks about trials as well here, in verse 7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So here's another, um, I suppose, a favorite topic that the apostles often spoke about. They not only spoke about the resurrection, but they spoke about the appearing of Jesus, the coming again aspect of Christ, which is also um, part of our living hope, uh, as we know that Christ will be, will be coming again. And so this new birth, this new birth, this, this living hope uh, is based uh, not only on a future inheritance, but a present blessing, but also on the written word of God. On the written word of God. Look at verse 23 of First Peter. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. By the word of God. And so we have God's promises to thank um, here, realizing that uh, we are promised uh, these wonderful blessings, and it is in the word of God that we find them promised to us. And so we are born again. We have begotten of God, as he says there, and um, also in these early verses that we're talking about here in verse 3. Peter says in 23, being born of God. And of course, it, it's not of a corruptible seed, but incorruptible. And it's by the word of God. Here is the sense that uh, our being begotten of God is truly of God. It is of God. It is confirmed that it is of God, not only in this passage, but in others as well. And which liveth and abideth ever. And so it is the very living word of God that is the same and continues uh, to be forever. Uh, consequently, Christians may rejoice, may rejoice in these things. Uh, Peter confers a blessing as it is, uh, we have stated in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and uh, the word blessed, of course, is one that can, you can read as blessed be or blessed is, depending on the, the Greek usage of the word, but both the usages of it carry either blessed be or blessed is. And God has, uh, in his abundant mercy, brought us then into the family of God. In Titus 3, 5, and 6, and these two verses, uh, I would say probably a couple of my favorites, though there are many of them, as there, I'm sure you have many as well. It says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
And so um, these verses uh, often have parts and bits of other passages intermingled into them that we have already read. Um, and he speaks about that here. Renewing of the Holy Ghost, Romans 12, 1 and 2. See, we are renewed by the Holy Spirit of God. We are begotten of God by the washing of regeneration. You see, here is that, that work of God. God regenerates us. Um, I believe it was Charles Haddon Spurgeon that used to say that repentance is the fruits of regeneration. Um, we're, we're regenerated and then we come to the full realization of what it means to repent. Even though we speak much about repentance and certainly repentance ought to be done, but when, uh, uh, in the theological sense, regeneration really has to come first for one to realize their sin in order to repent. Well, I suppose that's an old Puritan view. As uh, Spurgeon grew up under the shadow of the broad brim of Puritanism. And... Uh, of course, uh, he was the Prince of Preachers in Britain and had a great following. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. And so now um, this is made possible, of course, as he says here in verse 3, uh, our living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so this is made possible because Christ has been resurrected from the dead. Now, I know that uh, Easter time we celebrate the resurrection, but for every true believer, I trust that we celebrate it all, every, every time we gather together, every time we preach the gospel, we celebrate the resurrection because we know that without the death, the burial, and the resurrection, we'd only have a martyr with just the death and the burial. You'd only have a good person. You wouldn't have the victorious uh, aspect of the Son of God dying for the sins of the world. Um, but by the resurrection, we find that he, had, he truly did redeem us unto himself and was victorious over sin and death. Um, in, so in verse 3 here again, uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And uh, as living can also be translated lively, um, it, is a, it is a hope that we have that is not only certain and strong, but it is, it is completely of God. And so the, the, um, uh, the Zondervan New Testament commentary made this brief observation, which I'll share with you. It says, the original hearers of this letter disdained by their contemporaries would have understood hope, the living hope aspect, 
in the sense of divine rescue and perhaps vindication from dishonorable treatment. Well, we can imagine that particular statement being said perhaps in light of the first century and the kind of treatment that Christians were receiving at that time. And the fact that um, they lived in a world under the Roman Empire where there was little hope. Um, slavery was common. Uh, the common person was at a very low level. The status of society was such that if you were a, common, a commoner or a slave, well, you were pretty far down on the list. And the hope of your life was pretty menial. And uh, Christianity, of course, was that which offered hope. Because Christ came and he died for their sins. Uh, he was resurrected for their justification. And uh, they had faith. Faith in God, apart from the Jewish law, apart from the pagan temples, apart from offerings of, of, of pagan-like uh, offerings unto, uh, unto gods that they really did not know. They were stone and they were wood and, and uh, they were made of metal, but uh, they were not personal gods. But here is one in the first century which came to be known as Jesus Christ, their Savior, their Savior. And each of the twelve, of course, met Jesus Christ on a very personal basis. For a thought that came to my mind, uh, and maybe you have some answer to this, um, but since we put a quite a bit of um, stock, as it were, on baptism, uh, I do not know if any of the twelve has a recorded event of their baptism unless they were baptized under John the Baptist. We know that Apollos confessed that he was baptized under John the Baptist. And later, of course, uh, baptism became more uh, well received and it was part of the, as it were, the, the ordination into the Christian faith was to confess one's sins and to confess Christ and, and to be baptized. And of course Paul speaks about it and so forth in the book of Corinth and in Romans speaks about it, um, etc. But um, that's, that's an interesting th thought. I, I, it came, uh, came to my mind. Uh, but then, though we often say that for by grace I am saved through faith, we really do not add baptism at the end of that. Uh, we we say we will we are saved by grace and through faith alone alone uh, and so um, baptism as much as I really uh, appreciate what it is what it says and what it testifies to and, and I do believe we ought to continue with baptism I'm not trying to promote anything other than than that being a true ordinance of the church uh, but that observation came to my mind as I was thinking about, about all of this here. Um, secondly, the believer has an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away. Verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. 
reserved in heaven. And so this inheritance is reserved in heaven for us. Uh, and so uh, when we think about this, uh, when we are born again, we have this certain hope, and this hope means that we now have an inheritance. Uh, we have an inheritance. All because of Christ and of the resurrection, uh, the inheritance includes all that the believer will enjoy in heaven for eternity and all that will be his through Christ. In Psalm 16:5, at the beginning of the verse, the beginning of the passage, the A part of it, the Lord is the portion of mine inheritance uh, in that psalm. And when we think about... Uh, our relationship to Christ, we, we immediately think about going to be with the Lord when we pass from this life into the next. When we receive our inheritance, we believe we're going to go to be with the Lord. And that is a very important truth, isn't it, that we share, uh, that Christ is our inheritance. Um, more than streets of gold or a mansion that we probably wouldn't ever have here on earth, more than a sumptuous banqueting table or anything of that nature, Christ is our inheritance. Uh, many times people think of heaven and they think of all of the kinds of things that they don't receive here and that they would like to have in heaven. But really, the inheritance for us is Christ to be with Christ. And of course, uh, all that that entails, the inheritance is incorruptible, undefiled, unfading. And so what does incorruptible mean? We might say that it can never corrode. When we think of some of the, the uh, kind of aspects of things that go on here, things corrode here. Uh, you have a beautiful vase at home, you drop it, or you, or you mishandle it, it cracks. Um, you have uh, something that you value uh, that was made perhaps by your grandfather or, or something and it can decay. Uh, though it's a beautiful object, it can, can, can decay. So, but the, the incorruptible, incorruptible aspect of, of uh, the Lord's inheritance is that none of those things can happen. We will see Christ. We will be with him. It is uh, death proof. Uh, just because we, we die here and we lose everything, we can't take it with us, right? Um, so everything is, is behind. But Christ is death proof. We, even though we die, we still receive Christ. We still receive all the inheritance Christ promises to us. Uh, it, it, is with, it will not diminish, you see. Uh, when we think of undefiled, um, means that perhaps uh, the inheritance itself is in perfect condition. See, it's undefiled, it cannot be tarnished uh, in, in any way. Or it cannot lose its purity. Now things can, things can be tarnished here. Uh, things can lose their perfection here. Uh, things can uh, be impure here, <laughs> just because we live in an impure world. And, but when it comes to being, being with Christ or receiving the inheritance 
receiving a place with Christ, it's, it's undefiled. It cannot be defiled in any way. Um, the third aspect he mentions here is that it does not fade away. What does that mean? Um, that it cannot suffer variation? We think of fading, you know, you have a beautiful portrait or something, you put it in the sun and it may fade. Uh, years ago, I, I, I had an inexpensive guitar, but um, it was, I had it on display in a window and it warped. <laughs> the heat just got a hold of it and all of a sudden it, was, it wasn't any good anymore. <laughs> the sun can ruin things uh, when it, the heat can. And so they can fade, right? They, uh, they can suffer variation. Um, cannot fade away the value, the glory, the beauty. Uh, you see, the value and glory and beauty of, of the Lord, of our inheritance with Christ, it cannot fade in any way. We're never going to be tired of being with Jesus. We're never going to, in any way, wish we were someplace else. <laughs> But the glory of that place is going to be, and of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, and it seems like, uh, what is it, in Revelation 22, it seems like the glory of the Lord fills heaven. There's no need of the sun. The glory of the Lord. Now, I don't understand all that, but I, I, we, we uh, agree that the wording tells us something so beautiful and glorious and wonderful that we know that we want it. That we want it. We want to be a part of it. We want to share in that glory. Uh, in, in any way that God intends for us to. And so it will not fade away. And so these, uh, these aspects, three aspects he speaks about here um, are really a blessing to us. To an inheritance incorruptible undefiled and fadeth not away and that it is reserved in heaven for us. Well, when we think about our inheritance in heaven, um, we, you know, we mentioned these three areas that they, they are truly uh, heavenly aspects of what God has prepared for us. But uh, when we compare it to earthly inheritances, it's uh, we know the earthly inheritance is like, you know, when we're young, we think about, oh, if I could only inherit a million dollars, right? You say, well, you, that would be so wonderful, right, to inherit a million dollars. Uh, but then inheritances can be very shaky, earthly inheritances. Um, sometimes uh, the inheritance that somebody, somebody receives is, is not so good for them. You know, you hear about some of these people who inherit a lot of money, whether it's through the lottery or through some other kind of situation, and uh, they're not able to handle having all that money, and so it becomes like a, a problem rather than a blessing. Um, so here is something about our heavenly inheritance. It will never be a problem. <laughs> it will always be a blessing to us. And so this, this divine inheritance is not subject to any of the changes of time. Uh, there are no loopholes in the believer's title to it. You know, in, in an earthly inheritance, it could be a loophole. Uh, if, you don't, if you don't do everything that the 
that the contract says you might not receive it. And uh, of course, uh, this particular inheritance, as he says here, is reserved in heaven, is kept in the safety vault of, of God. Uh, God has a safety vault. And uh, of course, it is all promised to us because of what? The new covenant in the blood of Christ. That's really when it comes down to, isn't it? You, you talk about the old covenant, you think about the Old Testament, the law. Well, we know that nobody could keep the law. And there was a lot of ifs, ands, and buts about the Old Testament law. Um, conditional blessings in the Old Testament uh, in relationship to the law. But when it comes to the new covenant in Christ, we find there is only one. And that is that we must know him as our Savior. We must know him. And if we do come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you realize of the true faith that we are to have in Christ and know it, then all is promised to us and uh, no more worries in that regard. In Colossians 3.24 it says, Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance for ye serve the Lord Christ. A couple other verses here mention inheritance. Ephesians 1.18, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of your calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And then one other, Ephesians 1.11, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things, after the counsel of his own will. And so now there's one verse, we don't mind the word predestinated being used, because we're going to receive an inheritance that fadeth not away, that is incorruptible, that is undefiled. Thirdly, uh, the believer is kept by the power of God by faith. Uh, here, uh, in verse 5, uh, he says, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. And so uh, this again is a wonderful blessing and promise that God has for us. Um, that we are kept, we are kept by the power of God. And now that's pretty important. In Jude it says this, The servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. And so we are servants, and he says we are sanctified by God the Father, we are preserved, and we are called. In other words, we're kept. We're kept. Uh, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6. So God has a work that he's doing in us. He's going to continue to do it. God has, is sanctifying us. He is preserving us because he has called us. And so God is at work in in our lives to make sure that we will meet the destination we will come to the right destination 
over time. Now, the word kept here is the Greek word which can mean guard, to guard. Um, this guarding of, is affected on the part of God by his power, who are kept by the power of God. We are guarded by the power of God. You see, it's, made, it's affected by the power of God. So who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. And of course, that's verse 5. But there is a human aspect as well as the divine side of eternal security. It says we are kept by the power of God. That is the divine side. But it is through faith that is the human side. Now we do ascribe that faith is important for the believer. That we must believe God. And God always makes us responsible in some way. Even though he's behind the scenes doing much more than perhaps we ever realize. God makes us responsible. And so human responsibility is necessary. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. If you don't believe, well, you're not saved. So there is the human aspect, but there is the divine aspect. And though God is behind the scenes, working in the life of the person to bring them into faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we must be open to the scriptures. We must be open to the word of God. We must believe. And so that is part of what God has has said is, is our responsibility. In fact, the whole preaching of the gospel is necessary because God calls upon us to believe. By, to believe. By the foolishness of preaching, you see, in 1 Corinthians he says, God saves us by the foolishness of preaching. Man, man considers preaching pretty low on the, you know, on the spectrum of things. Oh, don't preach to me, you know, they will say. I don't need another sermon, you know. It, well, why don't they need another sermon? Well, they haven't believed the first one. <laughs> they, you know, they're, they're still in unbelief. And they're still rejecting. If they was believing, they wouldn't mind hearing another sermon. Because it would be important to them to hear what God has to say. And so there's the human side, there is the divine side. But it is through faith... That God does this work. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So this is, uh, this is important that we recognize that this is part of the blessing that God also gives to us. Um, again, verse 5, as he is talking here about being kept by the power of God, through faith unto salvation, we find that this uh, work of God unto salvation then, this does not mean that a person is saved only as long as he exercises faith. You know, that would be put too much of works on our faith. Um, well, I don't feel like I'm saved today. Does that mean I'm not saved? Uh, or I don't seem to have any faith right now for some reason. My faith is, is very small. Does that mean I'm, I'm not saved? Well, we shouldn't look at faith like that, should we? No. We're supposed to take God at his word. 
if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we exercise faith. And God says, believe. And so we, we need to believe, but we, we need to recognize that God is at work. Where there is true faith, there is, will be true continuance. Saving faith always has the quality of permanence. Now, we qualify that by saying saving faith. Uh, not, not faith that, you know, you have yourself. Uh, some, you know, I suppose we exercise kind of mortal or temporal faith uh, quite a bit. You, you know, as the illustration is often used, oh, do you have faith that that chair will hold you up? Well, if it looks sturdy enough, I guess so. And, you know, most chairs that look sturdy enough. But if you had a really old rickety one, you might say, I don't know, that thing will even hold me up, you know. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's kind of a mortal faith, and then there is divine faith, faith that believes God. And that's what really we're, we're saying. Faith that believes God has a permanence to it. Faith that believes God has, is, is not, um, will continue, will continue, you see. Um, in Romans 5.10 it says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. We shall be saved by his life. You see, when we were, when we were sinners, when we were enmity with God, and we came to faith and said, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe I have sinned and transgressed the word God's law. I want the Lord Jesus Christ to be my Savior. When we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, now much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We know that, in other words, because of Christ's life, death, the burial, and the resurrection, the resurrection has shown us that Christ is truly the Savior he is our victory over sin and death. Much more than we shall be saved by his life. Now this next passage is quite lengthy. I'm going to read to you. But I think it's important. It's out of John chapter 10. And um, I'll be reading John chapter 10 verse 11, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Uh, and, you know, I was kind of skipping through there a little bit, but they all say the same thing. And so what do these verses say? John chapter 10, verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. I see Christ has, has done that, hasn't he? Uh, the, uh, the type is Jesus is our, is our good shepherd. And he's given his life for us. The death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. He says, verse 14, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. And so Christ knows us. You know, here is where just regular faith won't do it. But true faith that is from God, we, we, we know that is the kind of faith that he's talking about. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known of mine. He knows us. We know him. In verse 15, as the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. You see, Jesus knew what he was doing. He, he's the good shepherd. He, he knew what he was doing. 
And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. It wasn't just the uh, disciples or the apostles that he was talking about, was it? No, it's you and I too. It, it, it is, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every individual, every person, every creature as it were, that they receive that great commissioning. Do you realize how many people have been saved since Christ died on the cross? I mean, it must be billions of people who have come to faith in Christ of all walks and creeds. We used to sing the little song uh, about in, a, in Sunday school. Um, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. You know, that little song that kind of... We should recognize that people all over the world... No matter what their nationality, no matter what their cultures, no matter what they look like, no matter what their religions have been, if they have come to faith in Jesus Christ, then they are part of the family of God. They have been brought into the family of God. Some, sometimes we are a bit closed-minded, I think, when it comes to seeing other people. We, we only see other people as ourselves, maybe. That's the kind of uh, the fault of us, is that? But we need to see people as needing the Lord, as needing the Lord, and that any any one of those people that we see could come to faith in Jesus. In verse. Um, 17, therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. So here is the resurrection. He lays down his life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection really uh, uh, capsulized in that statement. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, that's verse 18, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. You see, he came to do the Father's will, and he fulfilled it. Verse 27, uh, out of John, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So the sheep hear the Lord. You and I will hear Christ's voice. He knows us. We follow him. And he gives unto us eternal life. And he says, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. You see, we are reserved. Peter says here, verse 4, reserved in heaven. We have an inheritance reserved in heaven. Well, that's because we are eternally secure in the Father's hand. We are eternally secure. And now close with this last verse. And Well, I, I kind of took a few bit more minutes than four. I started a little late. Uh, but this last verse, Hebrews 9.28, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time, without sin unto salvation. And of course that's what he talks about here in the end of verse 5. He says, 
he says, to be revealed in the last time, who are kept by the power of God through, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Well, of course we know Jesus is going to come again and take us to be with him. We are begotten unto a living hope in Christ. Shall we pray? Loving Father, do thank you for your word to us. And Lord, I pray you will bring out those things that are most important for us to remember and that are our spirit may truly be edified by your spirit and that we may together be blessed of you, Lord. Even as we are to bless your name, you also do bless us because we know you. Unto, and, uh, unto this living, this lively hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Okay, for our closing, closing hymn number 771, Count Your Many Blessings. So here's a good one to end with, 771. When you look 
that Christ has promised you his well-untold. Count your many blessings money cannot buy. Your reward in heaven or your home on high. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged, God is over all. Count your many blessings, angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessings you give to us. Those blessings which are here but more importantly, the blessings that you have given us through your word of that life and, and faith which you have blessed us with, which is unto life eternal because of the word of God and of Christ himself and of his death, burial, and resurrection of the inheritance yet to be received, which is reserved in heaven for us. Lord, we do thank you that our greatest blessing will be to see Christ and to know him, for we shall see him as he is. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.